Good morning. So the, scri the scripture reading for this morning is uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 1. Now that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think this way, and if anything you think, And anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, joining in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved." If you have not already turned there, let me invite you to turn to the passage that we will be focused on this morning, Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses, chap chapter 3, verse 12, and chapter 4, verse 1. Um, when they did the division of the chapters, sometimes they didn't always do them in a logical place. And in this particular case, Paul starts chapter 4 by saying, therefore. And so <laughs> you have to really combine that with the last portion of chapter 3. If you're using the Pew Bible, I believe you want to be on page, uh, it's not a pew. If you're using the Bible in the seat pocket in front of you, it's on page 380, or 981, I'm sorry. All right. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That song takes on new meaning for me as of last month. I didn't know much about the, the lady that wrote the hymn. But I discovered last month at the funeral service for my dear Aunt Vera that that was her favorite hymn. And as it turns out, that hymn is very applicable for us this morning and the passage that we are considering. And so I requested of Jane that she include, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face 
and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So before we go into his word, let's call upon him to help us to understand his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, uh, it is our desire that we would see Jesus. Father, it is our desire that we would rightly handle your word of truth. Father, um, help anything that I communicate to only focus on the truth and not on any opinion that might sneak into my thoughts. Uh, Father, help me to be gentle but firm in communicating truth. And Father, I pray that you would prepare all of our hearts, mine included, to listen to the work of your Spirit, the, the speech of your, your Spirit in our lives. Help us to listen. And then, Father, help us to apply and to obey. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many ways in the epistles that Paul describes those who are believers. Most of the time, he calls them saints. He starts most of his letters by saying, to the saints at. So, um, in some religious circles, the saints are people that are designated by the church. In the case of God, he designs uh, the church and he declares all those who are followers of Jesus, those who are trusting in Jesus, are saints. So if that's who you are, you are a saint. But he also calls us soldiers. Sometimes he calls us farmers or runners. Sometimes he says we're part of the body of Christ. He says we're adopted children or that we're like a building or that we're his letters that are written that others can read or we are like the wife of Christ or we are ambassadors. As I was coming this morning, I reflected on the fact that I was coming to a church building. Actually, this is <clears throat> not really a church building. The church is you. Um, this is more like an embassy. This is an embassy on foreign soil. So this is the Memorial Baptist Embassy Church, if you will. In this case, in this epistle, uh, thank you, Volta, for reading this. It says in verse 20 of chapter uh, 3, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying to the church at Philippi, you are a citizen. You are an alien or a foreigner in all other countries. So why does he call them citizens? What does he want them to think when he says, you are citizens of heaven? He wants them to think, every other place where I am, I'm not a citizen. I'm an alien. When I go to India, um, I'm an alien there. I'm a foreigner. Um, and Paul is saying, you know, he could have said, I'm a citizen of Rome, and he did use that at times to his advantage when people did not afford him the right treatment given his citizenship. But his main claim was, I'm a citizen of heaven. That was of far more importance to him than being a citizen of Rome. In fact, beginning in verse 12, Paul acknowledges that he has not achieved perfect citizenship yet. Notice he says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or have already become perfect, but I press on 
to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What Christ has done has changed my frame of reference completely. Now on the next slide, there's a picture of the, uh, one of the pages in my passport. Okay, I needed a passport to go to India. And one of the interesting things about what it says on that very first page is that it says where I am a citizen, and it says that I'm not a citizen of other places by virtue of what it says. And it also tells me that I'm not the only citizen. In fact, it says things like, oops, let's go back one slide, please. It says it's we people, we are united in the United States. There's a union associated with this. We have something in common that's general for ourselves and for our posterity, and we are united. So when it talks about citizenship, even in my passport, it's talking about all citizens, united, a common purpose, a common thinking. On the next slide, I have a picture um, of me. And you can't maybe see all of the uh, individual times that it says it, but on this one page of my passport, it mentions the United States of America eight times, either USA or United States of America. In other words, it's saying loud and clear to anybody that opens that up, sees my picture without my glasses, because they won't let you wear glasses for your passport picture. Why? I don't know. Uh, immaterial. It, it proclaims citizen of the USA, afforded with all the rights and privileges of that. So this morning, let me propose the main idea for the message. And the main idea is this. Heaven's citizens urgently press on together towards one focused goal. And it's God's goal. It's God's will. We don't get to define what the goal is. We don't get to define what the objective is. God is the one who makes the definition. He gives the commands. He is the one who is in charge of all citizens of heaven. Now, this, this morning I have three main things that we will, we will look at. The first is, what is the will of God? In fact, Anytime we approach Scripture, we should ask ourselves the question, what does God will? Uh, he has displayed in his word, his will, in multiple dimensions. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we want to examine, based on this passage, the thinking of heaven's citizens, and Paul helps us with that. And then also the walk of heaven's citizens. So we should approach every part of Scripture with a question, what is God's will? What is God's will expressed in our text this morning? Well, he says his, his will is that we press forward, that we press upward, that we think in a mature way, that we follow good examples, that we walk as friends of the cross, not enemies of the cross, that we have an expectation of waiting for the Savior who gave us this table to remember him. And that we believe what he has told us. He, he has an expectation, it's his desire, it's his will that we believe him, that we trust him, and that we stand firm 
in the Lord. Now, there are three aspects of God's will. And I think sometimes it's helpful to understand these three aspects so that we can understand which ones um, are just... uh, Well, God's will (laughs) is going to be accomplished regardless of the facets of his will, but there's some nuances associated with his his will. First of all, there's his decretive will. In other words, God says something and it's done. In Genesis chapter 1, over and over again it says, and God said, and it happened. So God decrees, and it happens. No human gets to interfere with that. No human can interfere with that. When God says, this is what I want done, it is done. This is the act of the all-powerful king and creator of the universe. Every molecule, every atom, every star, every insect, every sparrow is under his control. He is king. So he decrees, and it happens. But there's another aspect to his will, and that's his preceptive will. These are the things that God says we must do or not do from the heart. These are the things that he commands us. So we see that in Genesis as well. Not only was there his decretive will where God said, let there be light, and there was light, but also it says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, you may eat of this, you may not eat of this. And by the way, if you eat of this, you're going to die. He decreed it. Now, they disobeyed. So, and in fact, everybody in this room, myself included, we've disobeyed. God said, this is what I expect from you, this is what I want you to do, and we say from the, you know, the depths of our hearts, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose my own way. Uh, so God gives us the Ten Commandments. We can break the law. We can violate God's preceptive will, but not without consequences. Because when God says, this is my will, as stated in my commands, You either obey or you die. And so all have sinned and fall under just condemnation. Thirdly, there's God's will of disposition. This is like the will of a grandfather. Now, I'm not saying God is like a grandfather, okay? Don't don't misunderstand me here. It is my will as a grandfather that all of my grandchildren grow up to be godly good citizens who proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my will. So grandchildren, there's four of them present here, and and children, you know, and husband of children. My will is that you live for Christ, that you serve Christ. But clearly, I can't force them to do that. I won't force them to do that. That wouldn't be love. So we see this in God. It says, and God saw everything that he, was, he had made. This is Genesis chapter 1. And behold, it was very good. So God looks at certain things and he says, this is what's good. This is what pleases me. This satisfies my desires. Micah 7 verse 18. This isn't in the bulletin notes. I think I added this to my notes later. But in Micah 7 verse 18 it says, who is like Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the the remnant of his inheritance? 
He does not retain his anger forever because, listen to this, here's why he doesn't retain his anger. Because it's his will, his delight. It's his delight to show steadfast love. And that's how Psalm 100 ends. His steadfast love is forever. And he delights in that. That's his will. To delight in his children. To delight in those that serve him. And guess what? These all benefit us. God's decreed of will, his decrees, they've benefited us. I'm looking forward to spring already. I'm glad he's decreed that there's, there's sunshine and that the earth rotates and it spins at a, you know, weird angles. I like winter. I, I've, I'm going to be putting some new pieces on my snowblower because I like blowing snow. But I'm already thankful for the sun. I benefit from his preceptive will that he has given certain commands and they are for my good. The command is not burdensome. The command is a wonderful thing that God has given me. And finally, his will of disposition, that's good for me. And, and not only do they benefit us, but they display the glory of God and they bring him glory. So God's will, contrary to what some people would think, is not a bad thing. It's actually a very, very good thing. So what is the, the will of God? Paul keeps reminding us of Christ in this book. So that's why turn your eyes on Jesus and be thou my vision are good songs to sing this morning. So let's remember what Christ did for us, and Paul tells us some of those things in this passage. Look at verse 12. What did Christ do for us? He made me his own. Oh, don't have to do anything more. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's sufficient by itself. I am his own. If you are in Christ, you are his. Don't let that wonderful truth escape you. Jesus said to his disciples, you're in my hand. And by the way, the Father's got you too. Nobody can take you from my hand. You are secure in his hand if you are his. Verse 14, it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's not only made us his own, he's called us, he wants us home. He wants us to go home with him. And so he's given us a new heart that responds to that. In the Old Testament, he says, I'm going to take your heart of stone, I'm going to replace it with a heart of, of flesh, a heart that's attuned to me, a heart that desires to be with me. The, the, the evil heart doesn't desire to be with God. What, what did Adam and Eve do? They ran away. They didn't want to be close to God in their sin. God says, I want you to be with me. He's given us an upward call. Verse 20, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to do some wonderful things. But notice, you have a new passport. If I were to leave the United States and say, I no longer want to be a citizen of the United States, I want to be a Canadian citizen. You know, our, our former pastor, Craig Jarvis, might delight in that because he's a Canadian. But most people would think, are you out of your mind? You know? But I would need a new passport. Well, you have a new passport. Your passport is no longer stamped hell's citizen. It's, it's stamped 
heaven's citizenship. If you look at the picture page where God has recorded you in the book of life, it says, this is one of my citizens. I don't let my citizens go. You have a new passport. Verse 20, it says, we're waiting for the Savior. If you're waiting for the Savior, it means you expect something. You expect He's coming. And that has all kinds of practical implications in our lives as to whether or not we live that way. Do we really live, do I really live like I'm expecting Him to return? Because He can and He will. He's promised. By the way, He keeps His promises. If there's any doubt, just read the Bible. You'll see God keeps His promises and Jesus keeps His promises. Jesus said, they're going to kill me, they're going to bury me, and I'm going to rise again. He kept that promise. He said, it's, I've come to seek and to save those that are lost. He kept that promise. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He kept that promise. He keeps that promise. Notice verse 21, where it says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now, we don't even have a glimmer to know what that is going to be like. The reality of that. But let's just say, if it's like his glorious body, wow. And leave it at that. That's pretty amazing. So, we can expect him, it's God's will, that our bodies will be transformed. That's his will for you and for me. And it's going to be into something amazing, like his body. These bodies that we have, they are, quite frankly, amazing. Ask any one of the medical people in here, and they will tell you they don't know everything about the body. And new stuff is being learned all the time. It's just plain amazing the way God has created us. The, be the, the good news is the new body is even better. And finally, verse 4, chapter 1, it says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Here's God's will. Stand firm in the Lord. In fact, he, sa he says that repeatedly in this small section. Here's where I want you to stand. Stand in the Lord. So, Christ wants to be our primary focus. When we say, turn our eyes upon Jesus, what does that really mean? And in the book of Philippians, uh, there are four things that, that Paul declares, Christ is my something. And so in your bulletin notes, there's probably some blanks. I can't remember where I put blanks and where I didn't. But the first one is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where Paul says this about Christ. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Here's Paul's point of view. Here's Paul's perspective, and it's the right perspective. Christ is my life. Everything about who I am and what I am and who I should be and where I'm going and what I should be doing and what I should be saying, Christ is my life. He wouldn't have to go any further than that, but he does. Chapter 2, he says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to describe that. But Paul says this, Christ is your life, Christ needs now to be your mind. If Christ is your life, Christ needs to be your mind. 
That means our thinking will change if we have the mind of Christ. But that's not all. In verse uh, uh, 14 of chapter 3, it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Christ is my goal. There is no higher goal. I can list a whole bunch of things that might be a goal. All of the ones that I've set in my life, (laughs) they pale in comparison to this goal. Christ is my goal. Christ should be my goal. Christ should be your goal. And finally, he he gives us some encouragement in chapter 4, verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him. Through whom? Through Christ who gives me strength. Thankfully, I don't have to do it on my own. Christ is my life. Christ should be my mind. Christ should be my goal. And Christ is my strength to accomplish what he wants me to do. It rests in God. I trust in God. So now we're going to look at five things that are the thinking of heaven's citizens. And uh, I can see the clock, and I know you're probably wondering, well, he only did one point, and you know, the clock is a ticking here. Rest easy, you know, the roast won't burn. You're, you're in good hands here. Here are the, the, the th- things that I want to direct your attention to, and there are some blanks in the bulletin regarding this. In, in Philippians, Paul is very transparent in verse 12. He says, basically, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. So Paul is saying, I am, as a citizen of heaven, humble. I have not yet become who Christ wants me to be. I have not yet become who Christ wants me to be. And so that's why he's pressing on. That's why there's an urgency to this call, this upward call that he has in Christ Jesus. Secondly, we see that he understands he is forgiven. Notice in verse 13 he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Well, what lies behind? Righteousness, according to the law, is a Pharisee. Great standing in the religious community. Persecution of the church. Observing the murder of Stephen and actually approving of it. What lies behind is a, are a host of things that, that Paul would tell us, I'm the worst sinner there was. But God saved me. And I'm going to forget that because I'm forgiven. God forgave me in Christ Jesus. That's what we're celebrating at the table. The forgiveness of God that's rich and pure. His mercy is amazing. Let's not lose sight of that. Thirdly, he wants us to be mature. He wants us to have mature thinking. Babies... Don't think maturely. I've observed babies. Uh, Our daughter was a baby at one time. Our son was a baby. 
Uh, all of our grandchildren were babies. I've observed some of your babies. There's a baby here. Uh, probably more than one. I don't want to disregard other babies that might be here. Okay. Babies put anything and everything in their mouth. I'm not sure that's always wise. In fact, it's not wise. They don't have mature thinking. They don't recognize what you as an adult uh, recognize, and, and so mom is ever vigilant. And you even put special... We still have locks, you know, those child safety locks on the cabinet underneath the kitchen sink because there's desperately bad poison in, in that cabinet. Now, George is old enough to know that you don't drink anything that's under that sink. So we don't really need... In fact, George would know how to release the safety release, okay? Because he has mature thinking. He doesn't think like a baby or like an infant anymore. And notice what Paul says here. Let those who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you also. Which means that you're not totally mature in your thinking just yet. So here's what should be in the blank. Paul says that a th the thinking of a heavenly citizen is, I want to have mature Biblical, gospel-centric thinking. I want to have mature thinking. I don't want to think like a baby. I want to have biblical thinking. I want to know what's in this book, and I want it to inform the way my mind thinks. And I want to be gospel-centric in my thinking. You cannot read the Apostle Paul and see anything but the gospel as a priority. You just can't do it. It's his priority. He wants to be mature. Fourthly, he wants us to have the kind of thinking that's heavenly. Uh, verses 19 and 20. He talks about those that don't have that thinking, that are enemies of the cross of Christ. It says their end is destruction, their goal is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there's no treasure here that merits my full attention. Jesus said very clearly in Matthew chapter 6, you can only pick two places to store your treasure. You could store your treasure here, or you can store your treasure for eternity in, in, the citizen, in the place where your new citizenship is. You get your choice. I submit to you there's only one logical, rational choice for the thinking of a citizen of heaven. Fifthly, the, the servant of Jesus, the, the citizen in his kingdom, is passionate. He desires this for everybody. Notice in chapter 4, verse 1, how he addresses the people and the passion of this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. There's a passion in heavenly thinking. Caring for one another. Loving one another. So we've looked at the thought of the heavenly citizen Humility, forgiven, mature, 
heavenly and passionate. Now let's look at how that translates into the walk, and there are four points associated with that. First of all, there's eager and energized pressing on. He repeats over and over again in this small passage, strain forward, press on, press on, stand firm. There should be a sense of urgency related to this. There's a, this the, now is the time for action. I so appreciate it when Jeremy has recommended books to read, and, and so I bought a copy of one of the books that he recommended, and I don't know if you can see the image on there, but the, the book is called The Unexpected Journey. And he used an illustration from chapter 3 to, in one of his messages not too long ago. And, I, and so I read the book, and I like the conclusion that the author gives us in the book. He says, if you want to be effective citizens of the heavenly kingdom, here are some of the things that you need to know. Lesson number one, know what you believe. Citizens of heaven know what they believe. Number two, know what others believe. Know what the citizens of hell believe. Lesson number three, listen to the citizens of hell. Try to understand where they are. Lesson four, pray for the citizens of hell. They need a savior. Lesson five, invite them to church. Now, obviously, that may take some time, and they may never respond, but do it anyway. Lesson six, learn about their home lives. Lesson seven, get them to look closely at their own documents. If they have things that they hold dear to them in terms of what they believe, have them look at them. Tell them to look more closely at them. Encourage them to study the Bible objectively. That's lesson eight. Lesson nine, churches must be prepared for a pluralistic world. If we don't have any uh, sense of that after this election, <laughs> we are just not observant. Lesson 10, Christians cannot be intimidated by other beliefs. I am not afraid to go to India. They don't want preachers and teachers there. They, they really don't. If you, if you try to get a 10-year visa with them, they ask you, are you going to come here and preach and teach? You've got two choices. You can either lie, or you can do the one-year visa where they don't ask that question. That's what I did. Share your faith regularly. Live like a Christian be willing to invest time with non-Christians. Love people with Christ's unconditional love. And one of the reasons that this book is so cool is it tells the stories of people who modeled as citizens of heaven those very things. So, if you didn't buy the book in the past, um, get on the waiting list. I bought two copies. Um, I loaned it out. When, when that family's done with it, they're going to pass it on to somebody else. You have to see Rob if you want to be number three, okay? Or you can just buy a book. They're, you know, you buy them used. I like used books. You can see the markings of other people, you know? All right, sorry about that. A little bit of a side. So we should press on. The next thing we should do is we should be constructive. We should seek the welfare of others. Uh, Paul said that earlier in chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, a heavenly citizen is looking for ways to make life better for other citizens of heaven. And also for those that aren't citizens of heaven. 
Paul was always looking for a way to proclaim Christ to those who weren't citizens, that they might become citizens. Number three, they're imitative. We are to be imitators. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example I gave you. Now, when we go to a restaurant, there's, there are only two approved sweeteners. They all claim to be sweeteners, okay? But I can tell you, when we go to a hotel or to a restaurant, if we don't have the white packet, I'm not all that happy. I prefer the white packet. That's the real thing. It's the Coca-Cola sugar, okay? That's the sugar I want. Now, Cindy, she actually prefers something that imitates sugar. It tastes like sugar. In fact, I put it in my coffee this morning. It tastes like sugar. If she had put it in my coffee and I didn't know it, I would say, I have sugar in my coffee because it's a good imitator. Those other packets, now, if you like them, continue to use them. But the blue packet and the pink packet and the yellow packet, no, those, those fall short. Those are not good imitators, okay? I've tried those. I, I can confirm that I really am not impressed with those. So Cindy's picked the best one, the green packet. Actually, I picked the best one. It's the white packet, but be that as it may. And God wants us to be copycats, right? So God wants us all to be aligned together to look up, to turn our eyes to the Savior, and to follow Him. And if you don't like cats, I like dogs. Cats are okay. But let me just emphasize this point about being imitators. Here are all the different perspectives that Paul gives us. And I'm not going to read the entire passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6, 6 through 9, it's, Paul ends that, by, but says to them in verse 9, it was not because we do not have that right, in other words, to tell them this is what you need to do, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. In other words, Paul's saying, okay, I'm living in such a way that I want you to live like me and send out the gospel, communicate the gospel like me. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way, their way of life and imitate their faith. You see somebody of faith? Imitate that. That's a good thing. God is pleased by that. The Apostle John 3 John chapter 1, verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. You see good being done? Be an imitator. Do that. Peter says, 1 Peter 2, verses 20 and 21. He ends by saying this. For to this you have been called, that is, to suffer. You've been called to suffer. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you may follow in his steps. So suffering for the cause of Christ, for the name of Christ, for the mind of Christ, that's a good thing. And that's an example to follow. Second Timothy, he tells Timothy twice, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. And then in case Timothy didn't get it or you and I didn't get it, he says to Timothy, you however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, the persecutions I endured 
Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So Paul would tell you and me, imitate. As I've imitated Christ, you imitate me. As others who are in your life have imitated Christ, imitate them. And that would cause you then to ask the question, who is imitating me? And should they? We are citizens of heaven. Let's think that way. Let's walk that way. And then we can be imitated. <laughs> this picture here makes me smile. Uh, little, little boys like to imitate their father. I know that because our son imitated me on many different levels. And so we have an opportunity with our children to imitate, Im, imitate, <laughs> imitate Christ. Let's do that well. And finally, we are to be eternity-minded. Are you heartbroken for those who are not citizens of heaven? We should be. We should be heartbroken for those that are not citizens. And so the main idea is heaven's citizens urgently press on together towards one focused goal. And the goal is to make Christ my life, to make Christ my mind, to make Christ my goal, to make Christ my strength. That is a worthy goal. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So, are you focused on imitating Jesus? That's the question. Do you have the fourfold perspective of the Apostle Paul? Is Christ your life? Is Christ your goal? Is Christ your mind? Is Christ your strength? Our focus, if we are to imitate Paul, should be on Christ and on the gospel of Christ. So I have two questions for you. Maybe good questions for small group tonight, if you're part of a small group, or later this week. The first is, how does my life reflect Christ, and how does my life proclaim Christ? How? Be honest with yourself. How does your life proclaim Christ to others? And secondly, do I live like Christ is my life, my mind, my goal, and my strength? And you know what? We can all be like the Apostle Paul and acknowledge, I haven't really totally obtained this or been made perfect, but I'm going to press on. And we can press on together as citizens of heaven. There's one more slide. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. This is a picture of Helen Howarth Lemo in her younger years. But in 1918, when she was 55 years old, a missionary friend gave her a tract entitled, Focused. Focused. And it contained a statement that had a profound impact on her. And this is what it said. So then, turn your eyes upon Jesus, on Him. 
Look full into his face, and you will find that the things of earth will acquire a strange new dimness. And hence, the words of the hymn, O soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So can we echo with Paul, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you are a citizen of heaven, that should be your goal statement. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would cause us to once again stand in awe of you and in your word. Lord, we recognize that your will will be done uh, it's certainly done in heaven, and we desire for it to be done on earth as your citizens. Help us to do your will. We need your strength, and we recognize like Paul that we can do all things only through trust in you and the strength that you provide. Help that to be true in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.